is we forgot to put out, or at least uh, we didn't communicate it well, to, to get communion materials on your way in. So deacons, if I got any deacons that are ready and on standby, maybe right now we could start passing out uh, some of the, the uh, communion uh, cups that are in the back, and you can just do that as we sort of get into it right here. Um, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Romans chapter 3. Uh, we might have changed our location tonight, but we're not changing our plan when it comes to the scripture that we're going through. We've been in the book of Romans now for many months. We're uh, coming to the end of Romans chapter 3, and tonight we're going to look at just these few verses, verses 27 through 31. So if you would, follow along with me. It'll be up on the screen. It's in your bulletin, or best of all, in your own Bible that you brought with you. We're going to read these verses tonight, and if you would follow along with me as I read. God's word says this, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. And by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it and pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may go ahead and be seated. And I know our guys are passing out communion materials now. And um, I actually, I just saw a friend uh, sitting down that reminded me that I've got an announcement to make that almost slipped my mind. And that is, I want to encourage parents, you know, in, in the past when our kids would come back into the sanctuary at the end of church, uh, we would just, we would just run them around a circle, get them nice and tired so they'd go to bed early, right? Well, now... Uh, we've got the courtyard area outside, so I'm going to encourage you, if our kids are running and playing, that we kind of move that to the outside area and try not to do that as much in here. Um, I don't want to break anything, basically, is what I'm saying. But also, really, it, it, it would be good to take advantage of the area out there for the kids to play. We actually, up in Paradise this morning, we had, uh, we had a broken glass vase um, one of our folks had opened up a, a window that's in our sanctuary up there, and there was the wind was so gusty, it blew this, this glass vase off the, uh, off the window seal. And right as, uh, right as Brian was saying amen to a prayer, the, the glass shattered. It was, it was pretty amazing. But I guess, you know, I've already done broken uh, property in one rented sanctuary this morning. I don't want to do it again here. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, so the text for today. Um, Romans 3, 27 through 31, we just read, the law of faith is the title of the sermon, and that's plagiarized. I plagiarized that from the Apostle Paul because you would have seen that phrase come up in our reading today where he uses that exact phrasing, the law of faith. Now, it's a provocative phrase because it's one that uses two different terms, law and faith, that we usually pit against each other. Usually those things we, we don't put together. We make it an either or. Either you're a person of law, obedience to the law, you're a person of faith, of, of belief and trust. 
Uh, and yet Paul throws us a curveball here, and he actually presents to us this phrase in the text today that says, I'm talking about the law of faith. Now, just as a clarifier, what he's doing when he uses a phrase like that is not, stick with me here, it is not creating some sort of hybrid between law and faith, saying like, oh yeah, we're 50% people that trust in God, but the other 50% were people that obey and follow the law very regularly. That's not what he's doing by using this phrase. He's not creating some hybrid, some sort of both and. No, what he's actually doing is he's telling us that there are some things that faith will simply not permit. Some things that in the life of faith are purely off limits. And so he uses this word law because usually when we talk about law, we talk about things that are, you know, things that you can do or things that you can't do. That's what the law tells you. Things that are permissible and things that are impermissible. And it turns out that if we are to be a people of faith, following God from the heart of faith, there are certain things that have no place in our life whatsoever. There's a law against them, so to speak. That's how he's using the phrase in the text that we read today. Before I go any further with that, though, I want to take a little bit of a detour. And I want to ask you this. Uh, tell me, raise your hand, if you have ever had someone slam the door in your face. Like mid-sentence, you're about to say something, and they just slam the door. Anybody? A few people. This morning up in paradise, everybody that had had teenagers at some point in their life, they were like, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> that goes without saying. The question is, how many times has that happened to me? Uh, I saw a few of you guys raise your hand, but it's still the minority. It sounds like maybe some of y'all probably have not experienced that. Let me tell you, it's awful. Terrible experience. It's happened to me. I know, you're probably thinking that I was you know, a door-to-door -door salesman or something like that that got the door slammed in my face. Not the case. It was my neighbor. Not here, but when I lived in St. Louis. My neighbor who slammed the door in my face. We, I lived in a house full of guys um, when I was a seminary student. There was four other housemates, and we were making uh, dinner one night, and we realized that we didn't have an ingredient that we needed. So what do you do? You go to your neighbor and ask for it, right? Can I borrow some sugar, some flour? That's what I had been trained growing up. That was what neighbors are for. And we were so excited because none of us had ever gotten to do that before. So I all right, <laughs> get to go see if our neighbor has some things in their pantry. Well, the neighbors on our right and on our left that we knew well were not home. And actually, they probably wouldn't have had what we needed anyways. So we said, uh, okay, how about... How about the lady across the street? We don't know her very well, but we always wave, you know, when cars are coming in and out of the driveway, you wave to your neighbors, you know, you get a smile. So we cross the street, it's like four of us, knock on the door. You see where this is going, yeah. And she opens the door, not, to not all the way, mind you, but opens the door enough to see us, and she, she's got her index finger, and she says, I've got a sleeping baby in here. Don't you ever knock on this door at night again. Slam. Whoa. That was like one of the worst feelings. I mean, I was like about to say, can I bar? And just didn't even get it out. Now, 
there is a good ending to this story, okay? So she, she watched, uh, I guess, through her window. She saw us, like, sadly cross the street and go back into our house, and she realized that we were her neighbors. Uh, she thought that we were, like, door-to-door salesmen. Um, it was kind of dark outside. She didn't recognize us, and she just sort of immediately thought that. Um, she actually came over and brought us, like, a gift basket. She was so apologetic with, like, wine and cheese and things like that. So there is a good end to the story, okay? I don't want to mislead you. However, what I remember most about that, I don't, I don't remember what was in the gift basket, really. What kind of wine and cheese? Don't remember. I don't remember what ingredient we needed, but I remember vividly having someone slam the door in my face. It felt so awful and just dehumanizing and... Well, here I am, 15 years later, giving you intimate details about what she said and how I felt. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because there was something I read in my study this week that really jumped out to me, and I think it's because I have such a vivid memory of when the door was slammed in my face. It it has to do with a word that we saw at the very beginning of our text. Uh, The word is excluded. Do you see that? It's in verse 27. Um, Yeah, you know what? That's good. We can keep it right there. But look at your Bible, and you'll find it. It's the second sentence in verse 27. It says, it is excluded. That word excluded, obviously, the Apostle Paul was writing in Greek. He wasn't writing in English, and so this is a translation. And the word, the Greek word that's used there, one of the authors I was reading this week said that the word itself is so jarring to hear it out loud. It sounds like just this just this, you took every consonant in the alphabet and, and put it into a food processor and just mixed it all up together. That's kind of the sound that the word makes. And here, we're going we're gonna to test it. I've got it up here, transliterated, and the word goes like this. X, ek, place, they. X, ek, place, they. You try it. All right, let's say it fast now. X, ek, place, they. So the author was saying, it's like when you read this word out loud, when you hear it, it sounds like a door slamming in your face. It sounds like the crashing of a door that's being closed on you. And now, you know, I personally, when I read that, I was like, oh, come on, that's a little funny. But I was home this past week visiting my parents and I'm working in my parents' living room at their house, and I'm saying it out loud. And somewhere my mom hears me. She's like, what is that awful racket that you keep saying? It's like, it's true. This word is like this clashing, clanging string of consonants, kind of like a door being slammed. And the author that was, was saying this, he did note, he said, you know, it's, it's always a risky proposition to assume what an ancient audience would hear. If they would hear that string of consonants and it would have that same effect on them as it does on me. However, I just thought it was the most captivating idea and thought to think that when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans, he knows that the way that they're going to receive this letter is someone will, will get his letter and they'll be reading it to the whole congregation gathered like you are here today. And when they get to this part of the letter, what they hear 
is not just a command that faith doesn't allow for certain things, but they hear this audible cue of the door slamming, saying, faith does not permit these things, and not in this sort of the, uh, gentle little permissive, like, oh, faith doesn't get along with this, but no, faith slams the door on certain things. And what it slams the door on, what I've been beating around the bush this whole time with, is what you saw very clearly in the text that we read. Faith slams the door on boasting. There is no room for boasting in the life of faith. Because it fits. The crash of the door slams in your face. I'll read the verse again. It's the first one, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. That is ex ex place The slam door. By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Melissa, I think you can go to the next slide here. What I've got for you is the Oxford... English dictionary uh, definition of boasting. I, I thought it'd be helpful just to kind of get on the same page. Here's what it says boasting is. To talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. I've got that last part underlined and bolded because we're going to come back to that phrase a few times. But uh, truthfully, I probably didn't even need to put this up here. We all know what boasting is. We've seen it. We've experienced it. We probably have the person in our life that uh, can be a little bit annoying to be around because they can be boastful of certain things. And if we're honest, we've been that person many times in our life, the person that's boastful of various things, whether it be name-dropping somebody you think is important or a celebrity that you know or that you've been around, or my, uh, my classic move, I'm embarrassed to say, more when I was younger, I think, I hope. But sometimes what I would do is I would purposely like steer a conversation to get to a place where naturally something came up that I was proud of and wanted to share with you. So, oh, what do you know? The last 10 minutes, Josh has been guiding this conversation, so I would ask him about the putt-putt tournament he won in seventh grade. And I guess now I'm doing that as a preacher because I just casually dropped that in the sermon, and now you know. <laughs> that, that, that's a little bit of what's going on here. And it's, well, I used the word before, it's annoying, it's obnoxious, it's really frustrating when we're on the receiving end of that boasting, and it's really obnoxious when we're the ones doing it. But we're going to sort of kick it up a notch and, and talk about when boasting like that begins to sort of move into the spiritual realm. And we can begin to boast like this, not so much to impress other people, but we do it to begin to impress God, so to speak. To bring ourselves to his attention, to, to make a claim on God with our achievements, possessions, or abilities. H here's what I mean. I'm going to give you an example that comes up often. It just uh, I've been a pastor now for way longer than I care to admit. And I, I often will encounter just articles, emails that are sent, studies that I, I get to see a little bit of. Um, and some of them are surveys that are done of, of just a group of people in the United States. 
and then the findings are sort of reported, and especially if they're surveys that have to do with spirituality, I'll get to sort of see and read about these things. And one of the most classic ones that's done by research groups is to ask people just without definition, without really parameters put on it, they'll just ask a question like, does God love you? Do you believe that God loves you? And this might be surprising to some of you guys, but in recent years, almost across the board, everybody confidently says yes to that. Of course God loves me. Now, there's some people that will say, I don't believe in God. There are other people that will sort of want to quibble over definitions, like what is God? What do you mean by that? But m more often than not, people are just able at a gut level to answer that question and say, yes, he does. Now, where it gets interesting, though, is the follow-up. To those who said, yes, God loves me, the follow-up question is then, why? Why are you confident that God loves you? And time and time again, the majority answer is people going back to that because of my achievements, because of my possessions, because of my abilities. And they'd probably be giving specific examples of those things, but those are the categories that capture the heart behind why it is that they are confident and convinced that God loves them, it comes back to this. It comes back to our definition of boastfulness. Now, mind you, that kind of boasting is not one where somebody has puffed out their chest and they're, you know, saying, all eyes on me, let me tell you all about what I've done. It's way more subtle than that, usually. And yet, it comes back to the Oxford English Dictionary the focus is on what I've done, what I have, who I am. That's my confidence in why God loves me. I wish I could tell you that only non-church secular folks answer that way. It's not the case. It's the church and the unchurched that answer like that. It's the people that have never been in a church building in their life and also people that have been in a pew of a church for 40 years, singing hymns, hearing sermons, praying prayers about justification by faith alone, they answer like that too. Our instinct is so strong when we think about our relationship with God to point back to ourselves and what we've done to merit him. And when that happens, when we find ourselves in that place, that's become our boast. That's become what our pride is before God. So when Paul takes aim at boasting in this passage here, he is not so much looking at the, uh, the person that in an annoying way keeps talking about themselves or keeps talking about like their kid's report card, even though you've heard it millions of times. He's not aiming at that. He's aiming at the people who have a posture toward God that says God loves me because of me and what I've done what I can do. And to go back to where we started, that's the one thing that faith has a law against. It's the one thing that's impermissible. It's the one thing that faith slams the door in the face of, is boasting. It does not exist with the heart of faith. It is not compatible. The, the passage that we read today it doesn't just leave us there, though. I mean, it's all good and well to say, okay, faith slams the door and boasting, the end, let's go home. But the passage actually invites us to ask a follow-up question. It wants us to ask why. 
Why does faith react so viscerally and passionately, slamming the door uh, in the face of boasting? Why why does it not mix? Kind of like oil and water that don't go together. Well, I, I think we have a clue in the very next verse that comes up in our text. We read verse 27 already. Let's look at verse 28 now. It says this. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or, actually some of your translations might read like this. For we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. Both of those translations are good and solid. The one that adds alone actually goes all the way back to St. Augustine uh, a long, long time ago seeing that the the heart of this passage and what's written here is trying to say that where faith exists, it exists by itself. Not that nothing ever kind of comes along or is, is produced by faith, but that it is the sole reason we have when we think of why it is that God loves me or I'm in a relationship with him. And that's important because when we begin to boast, when we begin to talk about or think about things in ourselves, our, you know, to use the phrase, our achievements, our possessions, our abilities, what happens is we begin telling a new story about what our relationship with God is. And the new story says, yes, faith is important, but I also have a relationship with God because of these things, these accomplishments in my life, or these abilities that I have. And we begin to say it's it's not just God and his activity or him and his grace and believing in those things that has given me the foundation that I have, but it's also, well, something that helped, something that I have that contributed, that went hand in hand with what God was doing. And that's not the case. It's not true. Listen, guys, the only reason that I have to point to of of being a beloved child of God is that God showed grace and mercy to me. That's it. The only reason I have to point to as to why I'm a follower of Jesus is because Jesus, the Son of God, died for me, cleansed me, and set me free. Period. That's the only thing that I can point to to say, yeah, that's it. And it turns out that that faith alone in our life is jealous. It wants credit to be given where credit is due. And whenever we begin to boast and we begin to share the credit with our abilities and our accomplishments and our strengths, faith says, no way. That honor goes to God. That honor goes to what he's done. That honor goes to the son, Jesus. faith is very much either or not both and and that's why it slams the door so passionately on any form of boasting that we try to give I I kind of shared with the folks up in paradise this morning sort of another way of looking at it that might be helpful it's almost as if faith it's like we're setting our gaze upon God and his grace and mercy. We're, we're looking up at him and all that he's done for us. And our eyesight is focused 
purely there. But then when we begin to boast, when we begin to come back to our achievements, our possessions, our abilities, where does our gaze go? It slowly but surely comes down. And the next thing you know, I'm looking at myself. I'm looking inward. I'm looking at me. And my gaze is no longer on the grace and the glory and the mercy of Jesus the Son. My gaze is fixed on my own life. That's why faith shuts the door on boasting because it knows the only thing that can save me is if I fix my eyes here. And that it's really, really not worth it to look down and fix my gaze on myself. I think I'm essentially running out of time here, so I better hurry up and get to the last little bit that I wanted to share with you. And the last little bit uh, has to do with how we kind of apply this. I mean, in one sense, we've been applying it a lot already, but like very specifically apply it. I have like a million and five reasons, or excuse me, not reasons, a million and five ways to apply this. I, I had a very long flight home on Friday, and the entire time my imagination was running wild of all the different ways that we could, that we could kind of like put this into practice. Faith closing the door and boasting. Mo- most of my thinking kind of had to do with uh, our disagreements over COVID and how to approach it wearing mask or not wearing mask and thinking about the vaccination and knowing that so often our demeanor and our posture and our attitude of those things becomes a boastful position that has no place in the life of faith. However, as I was getting carried away of all these different thoughts, I kind of came back and read over my text and I realized that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote these verses, he actually had an application that he went to first that is also very relevant for us. It's a little uncomfortable for us, but it's very relevant. The very next sentence after Paul has talked about faith slamming the door on boasting, do you know where he goes next? He goes to the divide between Jew and Gentile. He goes to reflections about race and In case you're wondering where I'm getting this from, let me read it for you again. This now in verse 29. Yeah, it's up here on the screen. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Paul sees that what he's just taught about boasting and it having no place in the life of faith is immediately applicable to the division between Jews and Gentiles that he was seeing in churches all over the Mediterranean in that day. And in in case you're unaware of what was happening, it was an ethnic divide where people that were ethnically Jewish were saying, we are the chosen people of God. We are the ones that have the culture and the rule set that makes us insiders and everybody else is outsiders. Everybody else is a Gentile not a Jew. And Paul is saying, don't you see that this reflection on the gospel about how faith alone makes it where boasting is excluded, that means cultural boasting too. But we personally have the desire to, when we think about our relationship with God, wanting to look at our achievements 
uh, our possessions, our abilities to use the, the Oxford Dictionary phrase. But it's not just us at a personal level that can go back to that and boast in those things. We can do it at a group level too. We can do it in the neighborhood that we live in. We can do it in the country we're a citizen of. We can do it with the ethnic group we're a part of, the language group, the race, the ethnicity. It is so easy to mimic that same personal boasting with boasting about the group that we're a part of. And that's why Paul is saying here, Let's apply this very quickly and see how it tears down any division between Jew and Gentile. But we're going to add to it now any group that tries to make a tribal identity and say we're the insiders and we're the outsiders. The life of faith, or I should say the law of faith, slams the door on that entirely. Now, like I told you, I only have a couple of minutes, so this is going to be like, half-baked thoughts here. I wish I could leave them in the oven for a long time, but I'm going to have to take them out early. Here are the thoughts, the two of them. One is this. We are in a period right now where our country and our churches are grappling with issues of racial justice. It's been happening a long time, but it, it, it reached a fever pitch last summer with the death of George Floyd and protests, riots, discussions, arguments mostly on Facebook. One of the things that I cannot abide, not just as a pastor, but as just your brother in Christ, is the suggestion that those conversations have no place in discussions about the gospel. I've heard it time and time again. Josh, that's all good and well, but that doesn't belong in church. That doesn't belong in Bible study talk. That doesn't belong with it. Like, the gospel's this, that's something totally different. Guys, in our text tonight, the Apostle Paul draws a straight line from justification by faith alone to matters of race and culture. He sees it as incredibly relevant. And I believe that his conviction is that when we become people that dwell deeply on faith, and the fact that that's all that we have to stand on in our relationship with God, it will actually begin to impact the way that we relate to other cultures, to other countries, to other races. He doesn't see those things as miles apart. He sees them as intimately connected. So that's thought number one. Number two, though, is this. I know we have lots of different opinions and lots of different perspectives on these matters. Even in our small church, there is an abundance of different ways of thinking and discussing different opinions on policy proposals. I would be very naive to think that we were all in lockstep about how we thought about these things and how we thought about the solution to these things, to be honest. It makes sense, we're, we're people. However, what I want to challenge you with is this. Whatever your thinking is on these matters of race and justice in society, I beg you, bring them under the microscope of God's word. Bring them under the microscope of the law of faith 
that does not permit boasting of any sort. I've caught myself numerous times uh, as I'm reading the news, as I'm hearing debates about different policies, thinking about what is right, what should be done, what is just, and then all of a sudden I catch myself and say, that's not really congruent with faith. That's not really congruent with with me knowing that my only thing that I have to boast in is Jesus Christ and what he's done. Not who I am or who my group is or, or, or what our accomplishments might be or what our perceived accomplishments might be. And I have to go back to the drawing board and say, that opinion doesn't fit with the faith of the gospel. I'm not going to end by telling you the solution to the problem. That would be, well, in one minute, (laughs) even if I had a million minutes, I don't think I could do that right now. But how I'm going to end this is by begging you, please, as you think about, as you pray about, as you discuss these matters that are so heavy in our culture, do it from the perspective of being a person who is justified by faith therefore you are a person that boasting cannot enter in the conversation whether it be personal or whether it be cultural faith slams the door on that and I hope our church will be able to slam the door on that kind of boasting let me pray and then we'll get ready to take the Lord's Supper together I'm realizing I didn't get one of the elements and so uh, oh thank you Boasting. (laughs) Let me pray for us, and you guys grab hold of this. We'll get ready to partake. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as I prayed to start, I I, I prayed that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, but I also prayed that that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, and we continue to pray that. We ask God as we continue to think upon your word, we, we continue to chew on it, we continue to meditate on it, would be pleasing to you, and that that word would sprout and grow, would show us more and more what it means to be a people that are justified purely by faith, and therefore are people that have nothing to boast in except for Jesus and what he's done for us. It's in the name of Christ that we pray, amen.